Jessica Nabongo, you are known as Catch Me If Catch Me If You Can on social media. We all know you as the first black woman to visit every country on the planet. So, and we are both from Detroit. Yes, what up though? What up though? <laughs> so, tell me about your trajectory and being a woman, being a black woman from the D to visit every country on earth. I'm the daughter of Ugandan immigrants. So my father actually got a scholarship pre-independence, pre-Uganda independence. Um, he got a scholarship to attend Western Michigan University. So he was there in the 50s and studied biology and chemistry. And three years later, he graduated and went back to Uganda. And then he had an opportunity to come back to the Detroit metro area. And so he came back with my mom in 1969 when they permanently moved to the US. So I grew up on the west side in the Grandmont neighborhood. And I grew up with my two older sisters. And while most of my education was private, I did move to public schools in seventh grade. And so I went to Bates Academy and then I went to Renaissance for high school. Uh, I think so much of my childhood is obviously informed by the fact that my parents are from Uganda. So I don't know that I had like the most Detroit upbringing of like, you know, I didn't have really like a typical upbringing of most Detroiters just because like my upbringing was very Ugandan and very African in general um, and really like an immigrant upbringing because outside of the African community, my mom's best friend is Filipina. A lot of my dad's friends were Indian. So we grew up in like a multicultural environment. I am really fascinated with how you got this opportunity to visit every country in the world. And so if um, just take us through, you know, the first country you visited and then you was like, okay, I'm gonna do the second one, then the third one, then the 50th and, and so on. Yeah, I mean, first things first, I would say I created the opportunity. Um, so that's how it came about. The first country that I visited was Canada. Oh, y'all know that is our close neighbor to the South, um, the only place in America where you travel South to get to Canada. Um, and I think, again, because my parents are immigrants, you know, I went to Uganda when I was young. I went to London to visit family there. My parents loved to travel. Sometimes they would leave us at home and go on Caribbean vacations without us. So by the time I graduated from high school, I'd been to seven countries uh, and it continued from there. In 2008, I moved to Japan, which was my 10th country. Uh, I did very little travel. I was there. Um, but after, instead of going to work and get a new job, I decided to just travel for nine months prior to moving to London to do my master's. So I then lived abroad for seven years. So while I was living and working abroad, I just continued to travel. And then in February 2017, when I was in Bali, Indonesia was my 60th country, uh, it was then that I said I would visit every country by my 35th birthday. So I had always wanted to visit every country in the world and said I would do it by my 40th. But in February 2017, I decided to do it by my 35th. Well, so, so was it, I mean, you created the opportunity, but... You just said, I'm just going to, I started off pretty much at this point at the kind of like halfway mark and I'm just going to go all the way. I mean, because every day people don't think, hmm, I'm just going to visit every country in the world. Yeah, 
I mean, I'm a geography nerd. Um, so I've always been curious about other cultures growing up like in a home where we traveled internationally, but also where we had two sets of encyclopedias, we had atlases, the world always felt um, attainable to me. You know, I didn't have a fear of planes. Uh, I wasn't saddled with this idea of, of, oh, I'm black, I should be afraid to travel. I never had that idea instilled in me. So because my parents were like, okay, you wanna go somewhere, go, because that's what it was. You know, they would say, okay, I mean, we weren't super involved in the planning process, right. <laughs> but, I, you know, like, they'd be like, hey, we're going to Mexico, we're going to Jamaica, we're going to the Caymans, we're going to Uganda, whatever. Um, and they just, they didn't make a big deal. It was like, this is what we're doing. So I think for me, it was never really that big of a deal to just buy a plane ticket. A lot of people ask me, like, how do I do it? I'm like, just buy a plane ticket. That's <laughs> literally all it is. How old were you when you got your you um when you got your first passport and when do you remember using that passport? Uh five, six. I guess I was six. Because for Canada we didn't need passports, but when I went to Uganda, we definitely needed passports. And I remember that because we had to get vaccines. And it's mm-hmm. so funny because I literally remember being at the doctor's office with my my parents we were getting vaccines and i remember my mom made my dad get his shot first so we wouldn't be afraid i'm the baby so i was six my middle sister was eight and i remember my dad got the shot and like his face i was so scared to get the shot after that and i was like hiding under the table um so yeah i mean i really remember that first trip to well we stopped in london first to see family and then because my dad's sister lived in london and then we went to uganda no, I asked you about your age because the first time I traveled, I was 18 years old and I was in college my freshman year and my trip was to Senegal. And you have the immigrant experience of uh, being, uh, you know, um, parents being from Uganda and all, whereas with me being somebody who doesn't have that diaspora experience, black kids are always, we always had this wondering of where are our people from? You know, if we don't have anybody like a parent or a grandparent or a cousin. And I know for me, when I went to Senegal, you can tell me that I wasn't from Senegal. Because you want because you wanted it so much and you want to know where you're from so much that you create uh, a kinship that likely, at least by blood, doesn't exist. So how was it going from place to place? How did you schedule that? Um, so there's a few things. I mean, in terms of like that kinship feeling, um, I definitely feel that in many African countries, but I feel it beyond that. Uh, I felt a deep kinship when I was in Iran to the people there. Iraq, I had such a beautiful time. I, for me, I truly believe the world is our neighborhood and that we just have neighbors all over the world. And for me, I feel like I, I, I find myself feeling very connected to a lot of people in the world, most like on the continent, but also beyond that. Um, as far as like the journey itself, I did 135 new countries in two and a half years. And yeah, absolutely. It was exhausting. Um, because I wasn't starting from scratch, I was sort of playing a game of pickup. I was flying all over the place. It wasn't efficient at all. So, um, so lots of really long flights, uh, you know, being away from home, like probably eight weeks was the max that I did away from home. And then I would come back to switch out luggage and get back on the road. It was absolutely exhausting. But 
the experiences that I had fueled me. Um, you know, like 99% of my trip was positive. Uh, you mentioned Georgia, one of my favorite countries. Um, just from a culinary perspective, I think it's amazing. Uh, I think it's such a beautiful country. Ukraine, I only got a chance to visit Kiev, but I really enjoyed it. I thought the people were super friendly. Um, so yeah, I, for me, I can, I just, I find kinship just in all human beings, really. No, I do too. So I know, I don't know about you, but anytime I tell people I'm going to Ukraine, and I get the question, are there any black people, which I talk about race, that's my job full time. And, it, you know, even when I talk about even when I do lectures, my job is to talk about race and write about race. So I don't mind it. But it's almost as though people are surprised that I can go to Ukraine and enjoy myself. And I'm talking about, you know, all the black folks and I'm with, it, especially Georgia. And we're going to talk about the food because, yes, but for everybody that's listening, if you have not heard of Georgia and I'm not, I'm not talking about ATL because everybody thinks I'm talking about Atlanta, but Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, which is located in the former Soviet Union, South of Russia, they have some of the best food that you will ever taste. And so uh, just while we're on that, what was your favorite food from there? Okay. So I'm going to describe it and you can probably tell us what the name is. Um, there's a chicken with like lime or cilantro or something. Harcho, harcho. Mm hmm. The dumplings. Hinkali. Sure. And. <laughs> um, I'm like, what else? I, you know, there were just so many amazing restaurants we went to. We went to the countryside. A lot of people don't know that Georgia is the birthplace of wine. So we so, did some mm. winery tours as well. Um, there was this really amazing restaurant called Pheasant's Tears. It was like probably two hours outside of Tbilisi. So amazing. Like I was actually supposed to be going in October, but obviously that's not happening. Um, yeah. But I really do hope to get back next year because it's just such a phenomenal place to visit. I did not see any black people when I was there. They're there and I found them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, actually, no, actually, I did link up with one black woman who worked at the U.S. Embassy. I forgot. I did link up with her in Ukraine. Definitely didn't see any other black people. I was with a black girlfriend of mine. But for me, honestly, like I when I'm traveling, I'm not looking for that. When I'm traveling, I'm looking to get an authentic experience in a country. So if I'm going to the Ukraine, I'm not looking for black people because that's not an authentic Ukrainian experience. Of course, there's going to be immigrants there. But for me to get that authentic Ukrainian experience, I want to meet Ukrainian people. You know, I want to like fellowship with them. I want to hear about their country from their perspective. Um, you know, most of my friends are black, so I get my black fix you know, in my regular life. So for me, I just personally don't seek that out because I'm really trying to see how local people live and what their experiences are. Um, and I, and I will, I don't travel through the lens of race, quite frankly. I don't, I don't think about it. It's interesting because I was having a conversation with my friend because there's this, this tweet that went viral saying being black is having to research what it's like to be black in a country that you're planning to visit. I never did that. And I, I think part of it is because so when my parents raised me, we're Ugandan, so we didn't talk about race. We just traveled, you know, and so I continued to do that. And I can remember one time I was in Kyrgyzstan and I was in a rural area. We were walking across the street. With, I was walking with my guide to get a SIM card and all the people were stopping and staring. And I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot. Like, I'm black. 
and I have no hair. Like they're not used to seeing this. So it's not something that I'm always aware of. Of course, people make me aware of it um, oftentimes, but I will also say every acknowledgement of your race is not racism. So a lot of people are curious. A lot, I mean, you know, we're talking about places that many black people haven't visited, quite frankly. And so of course, people in Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, of course they're curious. They've never seen black folks. You know, a lot of these countries are places that don't even have many tourists from outside of their region at all. So I think we have to keep that in mind when traveling as black people that just because someone acknowledges that you're black doesn't mean it's racist, right? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I, and I learned that too. And, you know, in Ukraine, there are people who are native to the country. And when I was a Fulbright, I did a study. Well, it was more of a art, uh, uh, a photo journalism project uh, because black people were in Ukraine as far back as the uh, 1800s, as we can best, um, you know, track it. And even sooner than that with uh, Russia, because of you know the Ottoman Empire through slavery, et cetera, right? So we we all know that. And so my best friend, who's Ukrainian, who's born, uh, who, who's native there, is a, a black woman. But I also think it's fine that we, it's okay for us to just be ourselves and to be free and not to really consider all those things. And I don't expect all black people to look at everything through the lens of race. And I learned a lot through people. And it was one of the ways I was able to enjoy myself in Ukraine. And even though it's my job to write about race and I'm ever cognizant of it and I'm constantly analyzing it, one of the takeaways from what you said is that because I decided to be myself and be free and not to make a not allow what I think people's assumptions are about me, I'm able to enjoy. So I'm in Ukraine three or four months out of the year and I have a great experience and I I come as myself. I, I, I wear my blackness on my sleeve and I'm uh, in, in whatever I dress and, and everything. And, and because we're all black, we can't avoid it anyway. Right. <laughs> but I love that. And I think like, you know, if we look back at some literature, if we look back at, um, James Baldwin, Josephine Baker, we look back at a lot of Black Americans who moved and lived abroad to be B. Du Bois. So many people, they talk about that freedom, right? And so what saddens me, and I understand where it comes from, and I think Malcolm X makes a great point because he says American propaganda is, and I'm paraphrasing, American propaganda is such that it convinces Black people that no matter how much hell you catch in America, it's better here than anywhere else in the world. That's simply not true. And so I just, you know, I hope that through my journey that, and through all of the conversations that I've had posted, that Black people can feel that freedom that you and I have both felt being abroad, like that you don't have to be battled with the weight of your blackness. Yes, the entire world, we're all living in a white supremacist system, but it's to varying degrees, right? That that anti-blackness is absolutely to varying degrees. And I just want people to stop focusing on that and release themselves from it and go wherever they want to go. A lot of people ask me, what are the safest countries for black people? And I understand absolutely where it comes from. And I always say, go where you want to go. Because here's the thing. Even if I have a bad experience, that doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad experience. Like, what if I had a bad experience in Kiev 
and then I'm telling people, oh, black people don't go to Kia because I had a bad experience. Absolutely not. That's my singular experience. There's going to be other black people you meet who had a great time there or who didn't have a good time. But the thing is, like, there's the danger in a single story. And so I think it's important for people to just go and have their own experiences everywhere. When people hear this uh, episode and hear you speak and hear us talk, because we do come from two different backgrounds, even though we're both from the same city, that's that's an interesting thing, right? We both grew up in Detroit. I know one thing definitely is that you have one of the dopest websites that I've ever seen. So <laughs> I a black woman that. built that website, not me, but a black woman built that website. <laughs> My friend Lori Evelyn, she's also from Detroit. Oh, listen, hey, Detroit, Detroit women do it better, right? Yes. I mean, I'm 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 just looking at I mean, damn, I was just talking to Michael, my producer, but I'm like, shit. You've been able to take this experience and this is your job now. Yeah, in many ways. Because I you know, because I, I speak to to black women who do this work. And the reason why I'm interested in talking with black women about this work, because I feel there's a way in which black women navigate the world as a black man. I don't uh, see it because it's just people perceive us and look and from as far as as far as gender differently and not talk to different black women about what their experiences are with you. I'm curious about what convinced you that you could do this full time, because there are some people who do it part time. There are some people who freelance and they write and they live off of savings. And so if you don't mind sharing with us what model, what business model do you have for this and why, why is it working for you? So I would say, I think for some reason, I think it looks easier than it actually is. <laughs> it might be the nice pictures, but you know, I will say like, for example, when I set out to visit every country in the world and I was getting press, um, I definitely thought I would get sponsors, right? That didn't really happen. Um, as my following grew, of course, I worked with different people. Google Pixel, I worked with them. They came on in a major way. But I think it was more tied to my social following, right, rather than the actual thing that I was doing. And so I think for me, that was something that really threw me off. I was like, damn, like, nobody wants to pay for this. Like, this is amazing <laughs> content. You know what I mean? Because quite frankly, I'm like, this is amazing content. Like I'm doing, I'm giving you drone pictures. Like I, I've been doing photography since 05. Like I know my shit is tight. Right. But you know, I think reality hit me in the face because I'm like, if I were a white woman, whole shit would have been paid for quite frankly. Like let, let's, let's be honest. It would have been, but my, I'm a dark skin, visibly African woman with very short hair. Right. So I don't fit neatly into many people's aesthetics in terms of what they want to support. And that's just being honest, like as a dark skinned black woman, that's what it is. We're at the super bottom of the totem pole. But I think why my audience has continued to grow and why you know, I continue to receive opportunities from brands and from media outlets is because of my authenticity. I'm not, I'm never going to be something that I don't want to be. All I'm going to be is me 24 seven, you know? And I think some people may be rubbed the wrong way by that. Why would they though? Why would they? Um, cause I don't fit neatly into a little box, you know, like a lot of interviews that I do, people try to push me in a certain way. And I'm like, no, no, that's not my experience. I'm not devaluing the experience of other black people. Like, yes, 
I've dealt with like racism, mostly for me, it comes at borders, right? Because I use my Ugandan passport a lot. Even when I use my American passport, oftentimes people think it's not real because they see me only as an African and they're like, there's no way you can be American. I've dealt with that too, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like having to deal with all of that stuff is ridiculous. But what I have been able to do in like maintaining my authentic voice, I think that I have a unique voice in the space. Less than 300 people in the world have visited every country. So obviously that makes me one of very few experts on someone who's visited every country in the world. But I think also just like my commitment to excellence, that's really what it boils down to. And also offering value. So I'm not just putting up a cute picture of me in Cuba and saying, Havana days. I'm like, hey, if you're in Cuba, here's five restaurants to eat at. Here's this to do. Or if I'm in Nauru, I'm like, okay, Nauru, it's the world's least visited country down here in the South Pacific. This is what's going on here. I'm educating people. So I think it's a commitment to excellence, authenticity, and offering value through education. And I think that's what's, you know, helped me to maintain um, a presence in media as an expert. I think that's what's helped me to get a ton of opportunities in terms of podcast, press, and then partnerships with brands. Um, Because I'm telling an authentic story. I say no a lot. You know, people who, like, people reach out and I say no a lot, in particular when people try to underpay me. Like, I'm just not down for that. So I'd rather be broke and starving than allow someone to underpay me for my work. And that's just my commitment to myself and my commitment to my brand. I know that's right. Listen, yeah, screw getting pay less than what you worth. I know that. There you go. But but look, you are you said something that made that was a great point which is you're just not posting photos to Instagram. You have value. You're telling people this is where you can go. It's a photo, not just about me, it's a photo of me and this is what you can experience along with it. So, as a photographer, you know that a photo is a direct quote. But you give them the icing on it, too, with the captions and everything about this is how I experienced that area. And I think a lot of people, as simple as that sounds, a lot of people don't do that. No, not at all. And I think, you know, in the age of Instagram, um, I love Instagram as a platform. I mean, I think business wise, Instagram is super problematic. But I (laughs) I recall being really excited when Instagram came out because I was a photographer prior to it existing. I had been to over 30 countries prior to Instagram existing. But what we have found with social media, Instagram in particular, is that it has driven tourism. It's driven international tourism. And so many people are, quote, doing it for the gram and not even experiencing places, right? they're experiencing places through the phone, through selfie videos and all of that. And I'm very conscious when I travel, I get my picture very quickly. Anyone who travels with me knows, like I get the shot super fast and then my phone is away, my camera is away and I'm present and I'm experiencing that country because that's what I'm there for. And a lot of times we'd be like, oh, we wanna see more. I'm like, I don't care. Cause this is, I'm experiencing this for myself. I'm absolutely going to share but I also want to make sure that I'm getting a full experience for myself without my phone or a camera in my hand. You are actually helping people travel themselves with your travel experience. I see the site is Jet Black and it's a uh, luxury travel. And so tell us about this because I'm going to we're going to link out to this opportunity. And so particular, particularly 
um, when you talk about this company and and creating travel experiences for people, how are we how how does travel look in the age of coronavirus? Yeah, so I'll just go back a little bit to talk about how I started um, yeah. Jet Black. So I was at a friend's show. Um, he's a rapper and he was engaged. And at the time I was like, oh my God, you guys should go do your honeymoon somewhere in Africa. Like you're a man of influence. I think it's really important that we start to change the narrative about the continent. And this was back in 2015. And so he said, plan it. And I was like, okay, sure. So in the end, I planned a trip for them to go to Tanzania and the Seychelles. It was a phenomenal trip for him. He said it was the best trip he'd ever been on. And on the backs of that, I decided to launch Jet Black. And the reason that I've chosen to do more of a luxury lean is because that's my preferred way of travel. But I think what makes it unique is that the trips, um, when we do group trips, they're small. They're only 10 people. And so while we stay at like four or five star accommodations, we eat at small local restaurants. Like we go into the community And we really get to know the culture firsthand, but we get to go back and sleep in very comfortable digs. And yeah, it's just so it's it's me creating a space to travel the way that I feel comfortable traveling, more or less. And it's been really good to that end. Now, as far as like traveling in the age of COVID, and I think we have to think about post-COVID, I think traveling in the age of COVID, what that looks like is testing. I'm going on a road trip in two weeks. I'm getting myself tested because you know, I don't want to go traveling to other states and be a bioweapon in my car. You know what I mean? So I think it's really important for me to get tested. Um, I think it's it's really the traveler taking it upon themselves to be extra vigilant to not bring a disease wherever you're going, whether that's the next town over, whether it's a bar near your house, whether it's going to a foreign country, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we're safe and we're in the clear before we go to somebody else's country. Um, I think we're going to see governments putting up a lot of barriers in particular for Americans to visit. Um, And then I think once a vaccine is out, there's going to be a mandatory vaccine necessary to travel, which for me, I don't plan on doing. So I don't know how far I'll be able to get once I deny having um, a vaccine, but I think that's what it's going to be largely based on. I'm going to Ukraine and the ways that I'm being safe is besides taking all my disinfectant wipes and masks and everything, I'm on Delta, which still honors the space in between every person, right? Because you know that United and American Airways, they are feeling seats to capacity, which is bonkers to me. I don't understand it. I keep telling people, I'm like, if you must fly, fly Delta. I flew to Miami because I knew that was the safest option. And so in country, I have a VIP ticket in the trains where I have the car by myself because you've been in countries where you have the space and you, you know, you share with people in the, in former Soviet countries, it's very customary to get a first class seat uh, space and share it with people. And it's a part of the culture where you develop dialogue, you share food and you can even write people notes. It's just something within the Soviet space. Uh, but I'm getting that uh, a space to myself. It costs more, but I think my health is worth the extra money. And the health of others. And the health of others. Absolutely. And the health of others. You know, there are some countries that have 14 day quarantines. Ukraine had one, but they dropped it as long as you test negative at the border. They test you for the antibodies. 
But you talk about there's going to be a post-COVID. You know, this is going to end eventually. And so what has this meant for your business? Have people stopped um, taking, um, you know, reaching out to you? What, what has it been like for you? Yeah, so I actually operate three different businesses. So I have Jet Black, which yep. in the age of COVID has uh, been very challenging, but people are reaching out to plan trips for next year, which I find super fascinating. Good. Um, then I have The Catch, which is my e-commerce site, and we were struggling for a bit, but actually the revolution that happened in June post George Floyd's death actually helped us tremendously in terms of sales. So I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Was it white guilt? Oh, absolutely. What? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, white guilt. Oh, it, and that's fine because you know what's happening? A lot of people are discovering the brand and everyone loves everything that they get from it. So if that's white guilt, I needed that to give it a boost. I love it. And then uh, my third business is the business of being me. And so that's being the catch me if you can. That is me, the public speaker, the travel expert in media um, and the travel influencer. And so again, uh, COVID, we saw a huge downturn. Brands just didn't want to promote anything because they didn't want to be insensitive. And then white guilt hit. And now, you know, a lot of deals are coming through. Some things were already in the works pre that. Um, but a lot, a lot of it is definitely on the backs of white guilt and I'm, that's fine. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm, I'm all for it. So Catch me if you can. Where'd the name come from? So I actually launched that blog in 2009. And the reason that came about is because I was traveling like crazy even back then before like real social. And people were, my friends would always call me Carmen San Diego. And people would always be like, where are you? And I'd be like, you got to catch me if you can. And so that's really how it came up. And it's the catch me if you can, because obviously catch me if you can is the movie and that URL was already taken. So it became the catch me if you can. I got you. Tell me the most Detroit thing that you miss about Detroit when you're on the road? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I miss Detroit people. Like, that's the thing. A lot of my friends, a lot of my close friends are still from Detroit, even though the vast majority of them don't live here. But like, whenever I, I do like pretty epic birthday trips every year with like 20 plus people and we travel around the world together. And all of my friends who aren't from Detroit are like, oh my God, Detroit people are the coolest. So I think the people for sure. Like Detroit people are just cool. I feel like we're super chill. We're dope. Um, so probably the people in them better made. I really love better made chips. Even though when I'm here, I don't even like eat them that much, but I love better made chips. That's that, by the way, better made. Yeah. That's a Detroit. That's, that's a Detroit company and that's quintessential Detroit. But I always think about Detroit as Southern North, North up North people. Oh yeah. It's funny because like, I don't have that connection to the South. I think like a lot of black people in Detroit, their families came from the South, like my neighbors for sure. Like, so all my friends from Detroit have connections to the South. I don't have that because I'm from Uganda. Absolutely. Uh, but what's funny is when I moved to New York for undergrad, I was in a Popeye's and I, you know, I didn't realize they didn't say pop. So <laughs> I remember struggling to order a beverage because I was like, oh, do I get a pop with that? They're like, what? I'm like, a pop. pop. Do I get a pop with that? They're like, you want your dad? I'm like, a pop? What? A <laughs> beverage? And they were like, a 
Minnesota? I was like, what? And then I remember on campus, someone asked me if I was from Alabama. And I was like, what on earth? And so what I didn't know was that people from Detroit, we have like a Southern twang. I didn't know that. And I, I yeah. realized in New York that people from Chicago sound super country. Yes. Even though they, even though people from Chicago claim that they are a few steps above us and they have this little bougie attitude, but they Midwest country, just like us, just more of them. Yeah, that's super country. So it's interesting because I didn't know that until I was outside of this Midwest context in New York and they were like, are you from Alabama? I'm like, what? I, I love the time that we spent together and I learned a lot from you. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you gave us the time uh, for joining Black Diplomats. I really appreciate it. Thank you Thank very you much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Black Diplomats. We especially want to shout out our patrons, Mark Lacey, Ashanti Galar, Joanne Cook, and Katherine Yamayanov. If you like this episode, please become a patron at the link in the episode notes. Also, rate and subscribe to Black Diplomats on your favorite podcast platform. The intro and outro music is brought to you by my fellow Detroiter, Tall Black Guy.